This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Spear Factor Spearfishing Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Brett. And today's guest is Mr. Peter Yee. Um, Before I get into this episode, I just wanted to announce that there's two more courses at spearfishingmentor.com. Uh, one of them's free. It's the safety gear and um, safety techniques and tips and things like that for free because I don't think you should put a price on helping people uh, stay alive. And then also there's another one for $19 on driving uh, boats for divers and spearfishing and things like that. Um, and so that's pretty much it. Uh, you guys really appreciate all the support. A lot of people enjoyed it. The first, uh, master spearfishing class. So that's getting a lot of good feedback on that. I'm going to have a version two coming up with that one. Um, but now Mr. Peter Yee, Mr. Spear with X is the name of his Instagram, uh, Spear with X. He's, his background is, is in design. Uh, industrial design and he's been doing uh he worked at oakley for 25 years and he's been spearfishing for over a decade um you might have seen some of his stuff he's really into filming things and kind of documenting and helping other people and i think um i found him on instagram and i think the thing that kind of caught me about his style if you will is that he comes across very very genuine and when speaking with him and we just recently went on a Baja spearfishing trip, it, he is, he is who he is. The guy is a hundred percent authentic and genuine and loves to help people and just has a really interesting way of looking at things. And I think because of his design background, he's just, his mind has just constantly got great ideas and he's spitting them out there on how to improve and modify gear. So we had a great conversation. Um, the audio on my end was screwed up, uh, flat out, pretty fucked up. Uh, but fortunately the show is not about me. It was about Peter and, um, 
good stuff. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did enjoying the conversation with Peter. And again, check out uh, at Spear with X or Peter Yee Designs on Instagram. So, all right, guys, hope you enjoy it. Now, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Mr. Ted Hardy of Immersion Freediving. Uh, enter promo code SPEARFACTOR for 15% off uh, on his 28-day freediving transformation course. And uh, it's pretty awesome. I've used it and I recommend it. So you can find this course and the other courses Ted puts out for us at freedivingsafety.com. Um, like I said, enter the promo code SPEARFACTOR for the discount. And thanks, Ted, for sponsoring the show. Our next sponsor is Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh, Paul has offered us 10% discount with a promo code SPEARFACTOR. So thanks, Paul, for making badass guns and uh, providing a hookup for our listeners. And Chimera Side Slip. So Chimera Side Slip, you can purchase those at Chimera Spearfishing. That's K-I-M-E-R-A. And basically, I've talked about the side slip before in the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. Uh, it replaces the flopper with a side slip. Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code SPEARFACTOR, all lowercase, at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And our last sponsor is One Drop Spearfishing. Basically, a, an environmentally minded group of guys that love to dive, live and breathe it, but their whole focus is feeding friends and family and enjoying their time in the water. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, solid group of guys. And uh, check out their website, One Drop Spearfishing. Check them out on YouTube, One Drop Spearfishing. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor Spear Factor Podcast, feel free. Uh, you can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, spearfactor.com. Thank you. I just thought it would be really cool to have a diehard spear fisherman that was normal. Like, yeah. Dude, that's was, awesome. You know? No, I think, that's great. I, I, that's me. <laughs> I'm a pretty normal guy. And to be fair, look, to yeah. be honest too. So let's get a couple numbers straight. Uh, 54 now, 54, 54. Sorry. I, I've been diving. I've been diving. Brett, you, you've outdove me way more. Uh, I've only been diving for maybe a dozen years, maybe uh -huh. 12 or more years. And I've been certified, FI certified for the last 10. So I probably dove a couple years just fucking around like everybody else on the brink of like 15 years fucking around. Yeah. There you go. You know, I so I certified I've, 40. Yeah. Okay. Certified 40. Yeah. So we got certified close to the same time. Right. You I'm, and I. I'm 43. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's right. Yeah. Sorry. Age wise. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I fucked around and, you know, did stupid stuff until meeting people that, okay, this is serious and that's how it went so so i haven't been diving as long as you or many others right but i think in because i've been videoing my whole journey and i learned pretty quick i learned by seeing i learned by doing i, I figure things out right also professionally as a product designer and looking at things and process so i refined my dive and refined stuff made some doohickey things for my own you know personal use for spearfishing and filming that some people might find 
useful and interesting. So that's kind of me, right? And um, I guess I do like to think I'm part of the older crowd, OG in terms of age, but I don't have the experience some of the old G guys really have, right? Right. Which is kind of good too, because I didn't dive with just planks of wood on my feet. (laughs) That stuff, right? So I've used, I use whatever technology I can to help, you know, over, overcome uh, my shitty technique (laughs) and stuff, right? So all of that is fair game for me to uh, go after stuff. And I think maybe the other thing hopefully people are finding interesting about me is I think I've been practicing what some people preach. I've been practicing what my mom's always taught me, and that's don't waste anything. So on a fish, I don't just eat the filet, right? Eat the filet, eat the collars. I make soup out of the heads. I, you know, I'll do anything. and every, I make, make some trophies out of the tails whatever, so that we utilize our precious resources completely. Right. Cause I've seen, right. I've been on, you know, like a sand dollar trip or whatever and seen a guy fillet his beautiful yellowtail, perfectly good, good head with the collars and hucked it overboard in, you know, utter like shock and horror that the guy did, you know, I had to explain to him. And even after that, he goes, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I won't. I'm um, just the collars. Right. We're not even talking about the crazy head part, just, just the collars. So I think that's the other aspect that I've been learning to cook more as part of the process of spearfishing, you know, and it's such a great, amazing sport that we have that's all encompassing from the adventure, the, the adventure of hunting, the physical demands for holding our breaths and diving to, you know, uh, weird places that can kill you and the, the, the mental capacity required to concentrate and relax while having a heightened sense of awareness. Where's my buddy? Where's the current? Where's the boat? Holy shit. Look at that. Calm down. All of that on top of getting something, being stoked, having a buddy system, working with people. It is just it, this sport and this activity far exceeds any of my past hobbies. And exponentially, in my mind. Well, um, you say, oh, hey, everybody, welcome to uh, Peter Eden's show first. <laughs> Just get that out of the way. <laughs> so, Peter, what? let's talk about that. What were your past hobbies? Like, that you, Go ahead. But my past hobbies? Um, before spearfishing and things, um, I used to play hockey for like a decade um roller hockey and ice hockey i like guns so i'd go shooting and do all kinds of testosterone things like that um i like driving fast so sports car canyon driving on the track whatever else um a little bit of mixed martial arts for more for fitness than anything else until you know until i got tired of uh, walking to into work with a black eye or broken rib or something like that because i'm uh either too and and like a crick neck sprained shoulder or whatever because i'm either too stubborn to tap or too stupid to duck um so just a myriad of different things uh very typical guy stuff i guess right um which is a very far contrast to what i my day job was as an industrial designer where you know i'm talking and drawing and stuff which is not very physical Right. So, well, Peter, let's go back even farther because you and I have something very in common. We both went to high school in Las Vegas. Yes. Which is so funny. When you told me that on the boat, I kind of chuckled. 
I was like, yeah, I moved from Orange County to Vegas in high school. And then you, were you born out in Vegas or? Actually, I was not. Uh, I was actually born outside of the United States. I was born in Singapore. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. Um, so, but unlike the crazy rich Asians, we, we're really more the broke ass Asians that came here. So uh, I, I came to the United States when I was like, you know, two to three years old. And uh, Las Vegas is where my family ended up settling. Uh, when my, my parents uh, opened a small restaurant and grew from there and I had a, a, several restaurants. And then I went, I grew up my childhood life in Vegas from second grade until I got out of high school. And uh, in which case, you know, I wanted to uh, explore what my life would be like outside of, you know, velvet Elvis paintings and slot machines and stuff like that. So that's when I came out to California. And uh, I, well, I remember when I moved to Vegas, um, how dry it was. And when I moved from Orange County to Las Vegas, I used to get bloody noses all the time when I would sleep and just it was always such a weird transition and I had always been in the water and surfing and all that. And I remember moving there and I remember saying to myself at like ninth grade, like, well, what am I going to do now? And thank God for like high school sports, because I think I would have gone insane, but my mom still lived in Orange County. So I'd go back and visit her. Every time I go back and visit her, like, we're just going to the beach. Let's go, you know? And uh, she kind of knew that too, but yeah, I always found that so funny. And then, so you, you went to high school in Vegas and then let's get into when you graduated. Um, you went to school back in was it Pomona or Pasadena? The design. School? Uh, yeah, when I when I finished high school, I came out and I went to junior college in Pasadena. Uh, it's Pas Pasadena City College. It's still there now, and because uh, my sister lived over there, so I ended up living with her and going to try to figure out. You know, just like a lot of kids, uh, at least back then getting out of high school, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I surprisingly, I get good grades on everything. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have an affinity one way or another. So I was just taking general ed and I actually was looking at the syllabus one time and I saw this uh, class, uh, learn the basics of two-dimensional design, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, cool. I, I need some extra credits. This looks like a fun designy thing to, to do. And so I took that class and uh, unbeknownst to me, that was the start of where my professional career would go. Yeah. And uh, where did your professional career go? Like, um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I guess I just <laughs> finished. So, yeah. Um, so from there, take, learning about two-dimensional design, then, I don't know, winning some awards and then go on to three-dimensional design and learn more and take more classes. And um, I found that I was pretty good at designing stuff. And uh, I eventually went to Art Center, uh, College of Design in Pasadena. Um, it's a private uh, design school where many of the world's uh, famous car designers and, and all kinds of designers, actually, movie people and, and all kinds of creative field uh, go to. And I went there. And I remember getting just a tour, walking in on a tour, because uh, my my junior college teacher was also a teacher up there as well, and she arranged a tour. And I remember walking in this gallery; they have this like art, this gallery museum place that all the work is just student work, right? And I'm walking in there, and I'm just like mouth agape, 
just walking, looking at this amazing designs and drawings and stuff. I'm like, holy shit. You mean you can learn about this stuff? There's a career doing this stuff? Okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And that was a moment I just decided I'm going to go into design. I took every conceivable class possible there. I took night classes at Art Center. Uh, it was a private school, so you have to build a portfolio to be accepted. Uh, oftentimes, they reject you at first, so you take more classes and everything, so you're ready to go. And I did all that. I was fortunate enough to get accepted my first shot. And I guess in general, I'm an overachiever, but now I'm in a design school, arguably the best in the world, in a room filled with 20 other overachievers. Were you working at the time, too? I was, yeah, I was working, uh, I was like, like doing clerical office stuff at my sister's, my sister's an architect, so I was doing stuff in her office and things. Um, so it runs I, in the family then? Yeah, you know, that surprisingly, kind of yeah, it, yeah, it does, it does. My oldest sister's an architect. Um, my youngest sister, she, she was a good illustrator. She learned, she studied some illustration. My brother doesn't do anything creatively as a profession, but man, he could doodle like a mofo. He <laughs> still love cartoons and stuff, look awesome. And then, you know, I found out in life, my mom was really good at art and, and would do art things. And then my dad uh, was a really amazing calligrapher, Chinese calligraphy, those big Chinese characters and stuff. So, you know, I have, I have a couple of pieces in my house that are amazing. So yeah, I guess it runs in the family. Um, and I happen to discover it that way, you know, just by happenstance. Because uh, nothing was ever forced on me, you know, like art right. or anything like that from my parents. Yeah, because yeah, they were probably too busy working. Absolutely. They worked, dude, they worked six and a half days a week. I only saw my parents on Sunday. Right. You know, we go to church, go to lunch, you know, maybe go to the mall, walk around, then I go home and they go to work. So it's, yeah, yeah different times, you know. But yeah, that was, that was, I um, uh, went to Art Center to study design and that's what i graduated with a uh, bachelor of science in industrial design with uh, honors and distinction uh and that's something they hadn't done in a few years i guess apparently so and then that is impressive and then uh you started you worked for oakley you get a job Oakley right after graduating or was that yeah yep um as part of art center they have uh what they call a senior graduation where you set up your work into like a gallery area with your other fellow graduates and you know they have a lot of professional connections so they'd have companies come in and interview so typically i think during the week there was 10 companies you would interview in the morning with one company and you interview with a different company in the afternoon and Oakley happened to be one of the companies on the list. And I was pretty stoked. It was pretty cool, right? Um, There's other companies, uh, you know, Mattel was one, um, some big consultancies, which I was interested in because I get bored and things. So I, I thought I'd want to work at a consultancy that gets different kinds of projects, right? So I can try and, and do whatever. Um, earlier on, I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a car designer. And um, two things kind of happened. One was, well, I think I'd get bored, you know, cause you're not going to always get to design a sports car, right? What if you had a minivan or I'm doing something else. And then secondly, I think <laughs> I probably wasn't the best car designer. I think I had a lot of friends that are car designers. I, I just felt they were way more talented. So I didn't, didn't go that route. So product design was good because you can do a little bit of everything. And yeah, when I, the Oakley thing, uh, meeting all these companies was great. 
you know, I dressed up in my suit or whatever, give them my presentation. And, and uh, when I met the Oakley guys, uh, I was, I, I was told I was at working at school on a project and some of my friends said, Hey, the Oakley guys are here. They're in the studio looking at stuff. Dude, they're cool. They're in shorts and Hawaiian shirts. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, and I go home, take a shower. This is like in the morning, take a shower, going to meet them. And I, and in college, I actually, for my own little hobby, I would collect sunglasses. I collected uh, on a student budget, really cool kind of designery, but cheap, cheap sunglasses. I'd go to like LA to the you know fashion district and I'd be buying stuff or I'd go wherever looking for stuff. We're talking about the most expensive, I think, sunglasses I had was maybe 15 bucks back then. Right on. Right. Yeah. So, you know, maybe via inflation and the way things was a little bit more now, but, and I picked my favorite pair and I put them on and to wear when I would meet the Oakley guys, which the Oakley guys were consisted of uh, Jim Gennard, the founder of Oakley and George Tackles, his, uh, his right-hand engineer at the, at the time. And what time was this? What year was this? This is uh, 1992 December. Okay. And uh, yeah, so this is a while ago. I'm dating myself for sure. I'm 24 at that time. Okay. And when I meet him, I walk in, I shake his hands and the founder of Oakley's looking at my sunglasses, checking me out. Like what the hell is this guy wearing? And I take him over to my place. I start going through my spiel, explaining my projects, which I had done so many times already, you know, and, and, uh, and I started getting annoyed because he kept interrupting me. He kept interrupting me, asking me all kinds of random questions. Like, Oh, so, so you grew up in Vegas. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I'm talking, talking, Oh, so where do you live now? And, uh, oh, have you been down to Orange County? And just all kinds of stuff. And in the end, uh, he ultimately uh, invited me to come visit them and uh, check it out. And long story short, it was amazing. Um, visiting the factory, getting a tour, seeing what it was all about, hearing their offer. And I was fortunate enough to get half a dozen job offers when I graduated. Uh, but Oakley's was just... Uh, I don't know, man. It just blew away everything in terms of the freedom that I could have, what they were offering me. I think uh, the financial compensation was was more than fair, and it just seemed like such a cool place with cool people, you know, and running around with right. shorts and throwing paper at each other and stuff. And I was like, man, there's there's got to be a catch. Like all these other places I went to got along great, but you know, it was like business. Going there, it was like fun, and like I thought, man maybe these guys are cannibals or something. There's gotta be some crazy ass catch here, but I figured, what do I have to lose? I'll give it a shot. Six months to a year, I can handle anything. And if it doesn't work out, I leave. So. You know, it's really funny you say that because um, I think when we're younger, we just don't know because you don't have any compare things by. So I'm having worked some like really shitty jobs. And then when I got uh, a job where I was literally valet parking and, but, Everybody at the resort I worked at was like smiling and saying hi. And I almost felt like it was all fake. I felt like everybody was full of shit. At some point, I was really guarded. And then the more I worked there, I realized, dude, they take such good care of their people. Everybody here is like best friends. So it's just like on a personal level, very like the morale is through the roof. And I never had a job where the morale is through the roof. I mean, before that, it was like the army. And it was like, you know, and then other things. 
but like that job was so cool and it's like you said though it's kind of like what's the catch like, they're getting, like something they're buttering me up for something <laughs> when when you worked at Oakley when you first got hired how how many employees were there this is a like four yeah so again when I got hired Oakley was is the beginning of 93 I think I was employee number 340 something okay so right. around yeah around 340 people at that yeah. time so pretty yeah. small um and I don't rem- I'm trying to remember the number of people that worked at Oakley when I left. So I worked from Oakley from 93 until 2018. Right. So that's, that's a, that's a good run. And uh, I think probably where I worked the factory portion, uh, which is the corporate and manufacturing, I want to guess that maybe there's 1600 people there, but that's not even counting globally, right? Offices right. and Salesforce and all that. So it certainly grew in that time frame that I was there. So Peter's kind of glossing over some of his accomplishments, but I mean, when you left, you were the VP of design, right? For Oakley. Yeah. And can you yeah. just name off like your top five things that you, the things that we have talked about this in the car and the way blah, blah. <laughs> like your top five things that you enjoy designing, like the things that you, well, just some of the more notable things. Okay, sure. Starting with um, maybe the um, waterproof or the um, the uh, dry bag that you designed that's not dry. Oh, I didn't design I'm that. I know. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so a little inside story on that. Peter handed me this dry bag, and I, at the uh, we went on a trip recently, and I was like, "Hey, nice! This kind of a cool dry bag." Well, it turns out they designed it using the same dry bag material because if they thought it looked cool but it's not actually a dry bag. So, and they had already played in production. So people were getting their stuff ruined, I'm assuming, thinking it's a dry bag. But yeah. Yeah. So anyways, but you, what did you design? Because I think people will be impressed with your resume as far as your... Sure. Um, so let me preface it by saying, uh, for the longest time, I didn't tell people what I did for a living. Um, for multiple reasons, not that I wasn't proud of it, because honestly, I was very, I'm very, very proud of my time at Oakley. But oftentimes, I didn't talk about what I did because that the sheer fact of what I did and stuff would kind of take over any kind of conversation or any kind of impression of me. And you know, oftentimes, strangers would just start asking me to get stuff for them, you know. And and quite honestly, that was a turnoff for me. Uh, or people would pretend you know, would like me because of what they think I can get for them or whatever, right? Right. And uh, quite honestly, I would ra- I'd rather people make their opinion of me for who I am beyond that. And, uh, you know, because if I'm an asshole, which I am an asshole, it, you know, you just have to decide how much you can handle. <laughs> but so let me just preface that. So for the longest time, I didn't tell people what I did. But then after leaving Oakley, I started talking about it more because I grew up there at Oakley. Uh, everything was sensitive information, Right. Right. I'm dealing with intellectual property. I'm dealing with designs that have the potential of making millions of dollars for a brand. And so I just didn't talk about it. So yeah. well, you just wanted you're, to say. You're an asshole. I mean, uh, to be fair, all of us have our asshole moments. So Absolutely. I've been on a trip with you. I've met you. I don't think you're an asshole. But the conversation which we had, which was just priceless about arguing with our wives, very similar I think both of them would agree that we are assholes at times. However, <laughs> I disagree. 
but that's neither here nor there. Go ahead. Of course, that's always going to be our view, right? <laughs> um, so one of the things I think people are maybe surprised or um, I think interesting thing is I designed the Oakley logo that you know today. Um, I'm not wearing it right now, um, but the elliptical O that is known around the world, uh, I designed that way back when in the early 90s with the founder, Jim Denard. And so that design um, was meant as a modern interpretation of what Oakley is, of innovation, um, performance. And if you look at the logo, it's an elliptical form with accelerating curves and it's symmetrical on two planes, right? So if you cut it in half, it's it looks the same top and bottom. And if you cut it in half again, it looks the same left and right, which symmetry is one of the key factors of uh, beauty, what people consider beautiful. So that was part of the part of the rationale for that design, as well as it looks like a letter O, you know, traveling through uh, space and air as fast as possible, right? So that represents the Oakley uh, kind of concept of performance. So that's one. Um, I designed a lot of eyewear, things like the M-frame. I can start with some of the old things, M-frame, eye jacket. Um, I've designed some more contemporary things. Uh, well, I've done some other old things like uh, X-Metal was a product line that Oakley had of titanium frames. So I did the first one, which was Romeo. Um, there are other frames like, gosh, um, oh, someone that you guys might remember, you, you might have seen in the Olympics or some pictures. They're called over the tops. They're the crazy ones that, you know, they're round lenses and the frame goes over your head to the back. So that was a pretty uh, interesting project, which I was called in to finish that project uh, to take it over from another uh, designer working with Jim. They were going at it for a while and it just wasn't working out right. So Jim asked me to, to take it over and I did. And the results are what you see today. What was the concept of that? Like, um, I think it's, or something, or what was that? No, it was just a different concept, a way of of thinking about eyewear, right? Conventionally, you know, it goes around your ears and everything. So it was it was kind of an exercise, almost like a concept design, like for cars, right? What's right. possible? So the idea is to circumnavigate your ears and go over the top. And there's kind of a double entendre, right? It, it literally goes over the top, but also the notion of going over the top is just crazy. What the hell are you guys thinking? Because to us back then, you know, the ideas that we had at Oakley were always, um, were always out there. We didn't look at other, comp other eyewear companies or things like that for inspiration. What are they doing? Like, I didn't care what other people did, right? Because... There's a lot of great eyewear out there that aren't Oakleys and great, they're already doing it, but that means we don't need to do it, right? If, you, if, you're, looking at, if you're looking at what everybody else is doing, then what you're going to create is going to be fairly conventional. But if you're competing against yourself and thinking of possibilities or thinking of things that don't exist now, what could exist? What could work? Then you come up with innovation and breakaway concepts. And arguably some of the projects we've done, you know, were ahead of their time, right? So along those lines, because this is a spearfishing podcast, uh, <laughs> and we had talked about earlier on about this a little bit, but you know, I'm more interested in people that spearfish and their story and their background. This is super, I, I think 
this whole design aspect of your life and who you are as a diver is super important. Does it ever drive you nuts or do you just, when it comes to the fins, the guns, the wets, I mean, are you just like looking at things and your brain is constantly firing thinking, I could do that better. I could do this better. I could do that better. You know what I mean? Yeah, unfortunately, I do know what you mean. <laughs> oh, it's gonna drive you nuts. Yeah, it's an occupational thing, you know, and I just deal with it. But yeah, I look at a lot of uh, gear and equipment, which certainly in our sport of spearfishing, there's no short of sort of shortage of. And I always look at it and say, yeah, you know, if they would have just done this, it could work better. If they would have done this, it would look and perform better. Um, certainly, yeah. All, all that kind of stuff I, I look at. And, um, and you know, because I'm an industrial designer, I have designed some things of my own for my own use, right? Um, well, you have, your own like company now. you have your own company now too, right? Yeah, I have a small consultancy where I do con design consulting for companies, um, huh. different companies and stuff like that. Um, but honestly, even designing stuff for myself has always happened even before I had this consultancy just for my own needs. Cause I've always videoed. I started videoing when I started spearfishing. So over a decade ago, there wasn't as much cool stuff that we have today. Um, you know, so I've made like, you know, different kinds of, uh, uh camera mounts for my guns and stuff. And, um, and some people have been interested and I've sold some of those to people. And then I also, uh, and I given, and I think you use one of my items. I gave you a little yes. mirror a little mirror that you wear on the back of your hand to check if your GoPro is on or not. Well, do you remember that mirror? Because I actually messaged you uh, maybe even a year or two ago about the mirror. I saw you where I go, well, oh, that's kind of a cool idea for a flasher. Yep. And you said, oh, hey, it's not actually for a flasher. I checked my camera and my GoPro to make sure it's on. Yep. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing, though, just the simplicity of it, but yet the functionality of it was like through the roof to me, because I agree with you. I am not a designer. I mean, I have a CAD degree, but it's like you look at things and it's like, uh, I feel like that could be better. It's so generic. What if you did this? And sometimes it doesn't work sure. and, and, and fails completely. <laughs> and other times you're like, well, I'm, I'm pretty cool. It's mine. I understand I made that and it's mine it works more importantly. And yeah. Yeah. So well, I think, I think we all, we all, anybody that videos and, and maybe many uh, spearfish may have tried and been frustrated. We've all probably tried videoing and just turn the camera on and just do our dives and stuff. And then we get this great fish that comes in and we get this great shot and later discover crap. The, the camera ran out of power before that happened. Right. And you oh, didn't get that happened. fish. Yeah, that's never <laughs> happened at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it happened to me. And that's why I was like, oh my God, this is just killing me. And, you know, sometimes, oftentimes I'm the, I'm the last one out of the water. So I'm in the water for a while and I want to get my, all the footage I can. So that's why I had to keep turning on and off the camera and certain situations you can work off the beeps, right? You can turn your camera. If, you know, nowadays we use GoPros or similars. But if you're hunting something that is maybe you're trying to be super quiet, let's say white sea bass, you know, you don't want to be making beeps and noises and anything. So that's when I think the mirror comes in handy. Um, and also to your question before, Brett, because I've gotten this question a lot through social media and stuff like, hey, what's that? 
what's that, you know, piece of metal you're wearing on the back of your hand or this or that. And I explained, well, it's really to check my camera, but you can use it as a flasher, you know, and uh, multi-use. And that's helped me get most of my footage in the water to, because I turn my camera on and off for my dives typically. Um, Cause I'm not, you don't, I don't have the camera on when we're breathing up because you're just you know, wasting your battery power. Right. So I just turn it on when I make my dive. Albeit there are sometimes, right, you're on the surface and something happens like, oh, wow, great opportunity. You miss those shots. But that's a small percentage in my mind for footage. Right. I just go through, um, I just go through like three hours of footage, hour and a half blocks, because that's when the battery dies. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot of time on the back end. Um, and then half the time still miss the footage, genius, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so with the design aspect and all of that, I mean, how did you even initially get involved in spearfishing? Uh, so I got involved in spearfishing from a friend who invited me to go to Catalina uh, to, to just snorkel with them. Now, remember, you and I grew up in Vegas, right? So we're surrounded by desert. And back, back then, I grew up watching Jaws movies. So I'm surrounded by desert. I'm deathly afraid of sharks and the ocean because I'm not around it. I'm not used to it. I don't surf. Um, I barely swim. So coming out here, going on an adventure with some friends. Okay, let's, let's do it. I borrowed a, a, another buddy's, uh, I think two, three surf suit and went out there. My friends had some, uh, sling spears and we're in the water. I'm kicking around and kind of spooked out by the kelp. That's, Oh man, it looks like it's going to, I'm going to get tangled and drown. But once I started trying to shoot some fish and there were just some, some, some little perch, that I was able to connect on a couple here and there. And we, we actually uh, went on to shore and one buddy brought a little grill. We filleted them. And I will tell you that was the best tasting perch I've ever had. It's probably the only real perch I've had since. <laughs> and something about the, the challenge of trying to, you know, spear these fish and holding my breath and like, I'm feeling this pressure and I look up like, Oh my God, I'm kind of deep. And, and all that was freaking me out. But at the same time, it, it turned on some kind of primordial gene in my head, some kind of hunter gatherer thing that just snapped and like, Hey, I want to do this. I want to hunt for this stuff and eat it. And that, that was the catalyst that started me trying to understand what this was all about, right? And I started reading some books and looking at YouTube at the time and anything else, my friend that uh, I went out to Cali with, we started doing this more often, sharing whatever information we found. And so I probably did that for a couple of years until realizing, you know, this, this can be dangerous. So I, I, then I got certified, uh, I got FII certified in Oceanside, uh, closer to where you are, Brett. And that's been a decade ago. And since then, the skill and the abilities, the, um, I don't know if it's luck or, or whatever, or, or knowledge has certainly grown and the reward and the, the bounty has increased as well. And I started videoing at that time because my buddy that got me into it was into videoing. So we would dive together, we would share our footage, we'd make fun little movies, video movies and stuff of our spearfishing. It was a lot of fun. So to me, it's kind of synonymous and I've always done it and the technology has gotten easier to do over time. And um, which kind of leads to why I started like posting my videos and stuff, because 
I, I was getting on social media, looking at stuff and like, wow, look at this. And I'm trying to look at this crappy video that gets all these views and all these likes. Like, hey man, I got a ton of stuff better than this. Right. And I thought, oh, why don't I share some of what I do um, and, and see how it goes? Because it was really for myself. Because back then when I first started spearing, you know, I have a young family and little kids. I worked a lot. So I didn't get to spear very much. I mean, it wasn't like every other weekend. It'd be once in a great while, but it was always fun and adventuresome. So I would always be videoing and then I would just be, make a video and, and watch it over and over again. We lived those moments of being in the water. And that was just my way of supplementing my lack of ability to dive because of my family responsibilities, my professional responsibilities. Um, so that's kind of how the video thing incorporated into uh, what I still do today. Well, I think it's something that's kind of interesting that you touched upon because I have been there also is that um, this life cycle that happens when you're, you're have these periods of your life and for anybody out there that's in these different stages, you'll understand it, you'll recognize it where when we were young, I'd say in our 20s, early 20s or whatever it was, for me, I, I was diving a lot, you know, I was about 22, whatever. And um, I would do it after work, after diving at work, after, after work, you know, dive, 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 surf, 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 dive, surf, all this stuff. And then slowly as kids started to arrive, it became hey i gotta i gotta try to surf when i get a chance here and diving takes a little longer so i wasn't able to dive as much and then it's like it goes down and, and i would go out you know once a month maybe even like whatever it was whatever i can get a chance to go out and dive and i did that for years and then as the kids are getting older and getting more like financially squared away or whatever it is and just getting used to this whole hey um, you going diving doesn't mean you're completely like screwing your partner over with having to watch three kids or whatever it is um, and you don't feel selfish uh, then you start diving more and more and more and I feel like that has literally just started in the last couple of years for me as a 43 year old man where like my son's driving now just started driving my other two are going to pretty independent but yeah, it was like the second wave of your life where it's like, oh, I can full throttle the back down because no one's getting screwed over by me doing stuff selfishly. I mean, I, I just feel like there are so many people that I've, I've seen, people that go really hard on social media. You see it in social media. They're posting, 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 posting all the time. And then over the last five years, you see those people start to drop off. Not drop off completely, but like just the frequency goes way down. And there also happen to be like 30 year old dads or whatever it is. And I'm like, I know what's yeah. going on in that house. Like, I feel like I know what's going on in that house. And it's nothing bad. It's just that like priorities. It's like, if I go diving, that means this doesn't get done in the house or this doesn't get done in the house. So all these things happen and yeah, it kind of ebbs and flows. And so now I feel like in the second half of our lives where I get this opportunity, it's like, Oh, now I have finances and I have the knowledge that I've had over the last 20. Now I know how to go. Like I took all this stuff that I've been learning over 20 years and, oh, I really like to go here. Oh, I'd love to go here. Uh, well, I just don't have the money to go there. Um, okay. But I planned it all out in my head. It's been planned out for years 
And then now that I'm like financially a little better off position and I have a little more time, both professionally and, you know, uh, personally, now it's like, let's go. Like I've been waiting a long time for this. (laughs) And which is kind of funny because it led me to, uh, I don't, this very just kind of randomly happened, but I was thinking about you and you've been diving for quite a few, few years now, but like, I don't know. 20 years Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. You've been diving mm-hmm. a while? I've probably been diving uh, for maybe a dozen years, maybe 12 or more. Um, yeah. Probably more seriously, to be honest, more seriously in the last maybe five or six years. Right. As my kids, like you, just like you described, you know, as you know, I had small, I have three kids and now they're, they're older. Two of them are about done with college. The oldest one's uh, 23. He'll, he'll be 24 pretty soon. My youngest is going to be 18 pretty soon. She's going to be finished with high school and going off to college. So my kids are now not as reliant on me. Right. And I'm no longer working at Oakley kind of crazy hours and traveling to Europe once a month and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so it's a little, just like you and other people, I have a little bit more time. So maybe I never did the dive a whole bunch when I was young thing. Right. Because I wasn't diving. I was doing other things a whole bunch <laughs> when I was right. younger. Yeah. So for me, spearfishing is, is relatively new relative to my time on the planet and the other activities I used to do. And also, I think the the aspect of it, you know, being in the corporate world, doing all that stuff, whenever I dove, it was just such peace and solace and a reconnection with, you know, the earth and mother nature and everything. It was just absolutely amazing with all the pressures and things of, of life just pushed out right away. We're, we're, we're on the surface. We're breathing up. We are trying to slow our heart rate down. We're in, we're living in the moment. We're thinking about, you know, the fish. We're thinking about the current. We're thinking about our buddies. We're thinking about everything else except for what I have to do, you know, what my wife told me to take care of, what work situation, bad work situation I have to resolve, or anything. I am we're living in the moment. So I think spearfishing became a much bigger and bigger component of my life as the normal stresses of, of life and responsibility increase, right? It, it kind of became the counterbalance to that. And because that happened, I think it became more and more important to me as those other things rose. And, and now, you know, it's, it's a, it's the other aspect of, I mean, and you and I talked about this before it's, Spearfishing is such an incredible, we'll call it sport that we do. It is so multifaceted. Yes, there's the kind of testosterone. Yeah, yeah, I spearfish. I shoot big fish for my food. But there's the aspect of it, it is a physical thing. You have to swim. You have to dive. There's all those physical challenges that I love. But there's the mental, intellectual challenge of calming yourself down heightened sense of awareness. There's safety of yourself, safety of your buddies in the water. There's all these things going on, right? Just in that moment and being underwater, the right conditions, right opportunities, taking that shot. Did I get it? Did I not? 
all that stuff all the way back to, oh, I got a fish. Okay, cool. We got the stoke. We got the teamwork that has to go into play. You got, if you're a boat owner or you're on a boat, you got to deal with all that boat stuff. And then now you have this fish. What do you do with the fish? You get to share the fish. You're not going to eat the whole thing. And that it's amazing. You bring it home for your families, your friends. And I will tell you, my neighbors love me. <laughs> I get to share with them. Everyone's stoked in the neighborhood. We share, and then my spearfishing friends, we share stuff. That's been amazing. And then the art spearfishing community has just been absolutely amazing, right? The, 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 the kind and great people I have met through our sport is, was such a huge, has been such a huge factor, I think, in my appreciation for what we do. And I have found there was such a great commonality among spearfisher uh I say men, but spearfisher people, both men and women, uh, that, you know, there's sure there's, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, a bad apple here and there, just like any group or anything. But by and large, I have met such amazingly kind and good people spearfishing that this sport and all that it encompasses has just blows away anything else, any other, my other, you know, hobbies or activities that I've done before that it's, it's, it's just become a, a really super cool thing that I truly appreciate. I'm trying to be a better spear fisherman and truly be more knowledgeable, trying to be a better cook to take full advantage of what we catch to share. Those are the things that just much more fulfilling than I thought it could ever be more fulfilling than any other sport or activity I've done. Right. Those other things I do, whether it's shooting or this, or it was, it was martial arts, it was all selfish stuff for myself, right? Driving fast car, oh, selfish stuff for myself. But this sport is very communal, right? It's, it's like when you and I and John went to Baja, we had such a great time. It was such an amazing time. The, the, the Pongeros uh, didn't want to take us because it's too damn windy, but that didn't stop us. We still went and we had a good time. We did it together. We put that boat together. We went out together. We dove together. Went up, went down. Let me help you with this. That was awesome. That was so I, I much think, fun. I think that that trip kind of is a testament to what you're saying because when you look at us, right, at, we're basically staggered 10 years apart. And we have talked about this on trip where you're 54, I'm 43. John's, I think, 10 years younger than me. Um, exactly. And all unique. And we're all learning from each other. Or John is like mentoring us and uh and you know the entrepreneurship of things and then you know you're mentoring us on some of the things that you've learned in your life and then also through the book design aspect and some of the things you're bringing to the table are unique and then um me as well um with some of the stuff i've been from traveling and whatever but um i think that trip was so um was so unique because if because of the circumstances, uh, some of you might have seen, uh, you know, I was sharing some stuff from the trip where it was really windy. There was like huge gust of wind. And like Peter said, the Pongoleros, the boat captains didn't want to go out. And um, because it said it was windy and they didn't want to, they didn't feel comfortable with divers going out because they couldn't watch us. And that was actually kind of a relief for me that wow, these guys really do actually care um, and, and have a professionalism. I mean, they always did, but usually in Mexico, uh, it's more like, yeah, let's go for it. We'll give you enough rope to hang yourself with. 
which is what we love about it. But I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like Mexico, these guys are being legit. Okay. Um, but in, in all tr true transparency, uh, our, our friend John brought a uh, his inflatable boat that we wanted to test out anyways. And we tested out too. We want to test it out down there to see conceptually with three divers, how it's going to work. And now, um, was it reckless? No. Um, we had, I mean, we had planned on worst case scenarios. Hey, we've got this, we've got a radio, we've got this. And worst case scenario, I want to go this way. So if the boat breaks down, we'll wash ashore here. We can walk back at least. <laughs> um, but in, in, in all, like, all of us sit there and brainstormed every day, you know, with our problem solving and just critical thinking, whatever it was, without the knowledge we know about spearfishing. And we made some mistakes and we learned some things too, but also we effectively came home with fish. And the last day was like, of course, glass and dove that spot right around the corner. Good stuff. Um, just a great trip. And uh, I think something happens, and I know it does because this is how team sports work too, but when we're relying on each other for safety or just to efficiently hunt, where you said there's three of us, one up, one down, somebody's relaxing and breathing, and we're just literally taking turns. I just feel like three is like the magic number where it's like you're just firing, you're going. Um, but more importantly, we're able to communicate. And then I felt like John was like, lucky guy on this trip like every drop you'd be like oh, i just saw this <laughs> and then i like going down like i don't see shit like <laughs> what the fuck is going on here but then john comes out he's like oh i missed oh shit okay so then you'd go down yep yeah, oh, i got a nice one oh, or whatever you know what i mean but uh it was just such a fun trip because i really think if we had not brought tried that alternative method we would have been stuck in shore for two days in Mexico with wind and you know all that stuff like that. So um absolutely. Yeah, that was yeah. such a unique, so much fun. So much fun. It it is a lot of fun diving with a good group. Uh honestly, it's like you like you described, but you know, like you dive down, you come up, you tell me how deep, what you saw. Okay, then I would take that information, readjust where I want to dive, how deep, you know, how to work. And I think you know, John would take that information, do different things. So it, it really is super helpful. And, you know, in our community, you know, we all talk about, we all know that you should dive with somebody else. Right. And I would be lying if I told you I didn't dive by myself once in a while, because I have, and right. it's not safe. Anything can happen every year. Unfortunately, we lose people every year. And so I have friends that I dive with that, tend not to dive together. They'll, you know, they split apart and, and do whatever. And they're grown ass adults and I can't tell them what to do. Right. But I do enjoy diving with somebody. I have some buddies that I love diving with because it is one up, one down. Anything happens. They're actually eyeballing me. You know, one of my buddies, you know, Russ, great, great guy. Um, you know, whenever I dive with Russ, it's so awesome. I remember one time we were diving Cortez Banks and I was down, it was my turn. I was down probably about 40, 45 feet. I grabbed my flasher and I'm just waving around and okay, nothing. I start going up. As I go up, I realize, hey, something doesn't feel right. I look down and my flasher either came out of my hand or my belt, wherever I put it. And I'm like, oh, okay, 
I stopped. I went back down just like 10 feet to grab it and come back up. Well, he saw me do that. And he knows as well as I, you don't do W dives. You don't go down, up, down. You go V dives. You go down and then up or you, whichever. He saw me go back down. So he knew something was up. So as I turn up and as I head up, as I'm going up, probably another 15 feet, all of a sudden I see Russ's head upside inverted, looking at me, <laughs> making sure I'm okay. And I saw him, I was like, oh, hey Russ, give him the okay sign and we go up. And I was so happy that he was completely watching what was going on. Even though we watch each other, right? You know, sometimes you watch each other, but your buddy either can't see you or they, you do what you do and you just see them on the surface. But he made the effort to come down and, and check on me halfway which is what we're supposed to do. But that's an example, another example, just like our Baja trip of it's great to dive with people that know what safety is and how it should occur when we're diving. Right. Right. And it, it is such a, it's a, man, it's such a cool fun. And maybe because I play team sports as well. It's such a cool thing to be part of that versus mavericking it on your own. Right. right, And it kind of turns into a rhythm. But what I also found is that even if like uh, your buddy shoots a fish, it really was a team thing just because there was so much information getting passed back and forth. Like the one time where I missed the shelf and I was hit the sand. I'm like, okay, we got to go back a little bit. It's too deep or whatever. Uh, but um, the, there's so much information to be able to put your buddy in the spot and Hey, like when John came up and he said, oh, okay, I, this is what I've noticed. These fish are reacting this way. Um, this is what's working for me. Okay, cool. And then so I would go or you would go. And um, where it really becomes a community fish in a lot of ways. Or you, you, you yeah, I just, it's his win is your win. I, mean, I just love it. And then you bring it back when he brought that smaller Cabrilla back and the guys made the three different dishes out of it. Um, you know, as we're sitting at eating the Cabrilla, it's like, oh, the cycle is complete. This is amazing. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, totally. I do. I, I do like that too, that it's a team win. That's the right, that's the right thing. It's a community, right? One of my friends, Josh, you know, his, whenever we're, when we are on his boat, you know, whoever shoots a fish, we end up, we share the fish and it's, it makes it more fun. Then, then it's not a competition individual competition it's a team competition so you're rooting for your buddy to get that fish because if he gets a fish we all get the fish right Right. now at the same time i want to be the buddy that supplies fish for everybody so i'm going to work harder for the team so anytime you're doing something more than for yourself it's just so much more fulfilling right and at least that's what i've found and i really enjoy that aspect of it you know a lot i feel um it, it does it's uh it's just so much more rewarding. Um, that is the one thing I'll say that I've done a lot. I've done the white sea bass tournament uh, a few times here. And that's really, I mean, your dial is kind of a solo mission, you know. Um, but uh, when I did the tournaments in Guam and got completely destroyed, shooting like a 0.5 pound fish, uh, half pound fish. Um, but like you said, you're down there watching your buddy drop and you can see him. It's beautiful. And you're like, dude, just, and, and he shoots a fish and you're just so stoked because it's like, we're going to do this together, you know, like, 
because the truth is when you're dropping down certain depths or whatever it is like we we're talking about, you can't be as effective by yourself. Yeah. Um, sometimes like I do know that where some people like I see more fish when I dive by myself. And I think there is maybe some truth to that, but more importantly than that is what I have noticed is when you turn off that like predator sniper mode where I'm like, I'm going to like hunt them and just like that intensity that's there with every other sport that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And you talk about free diving and spearfishing. You kind of have to let all of it go. And then all of a sudden it just starts showing up. I mean, how many times do people ask themselves like, when you're always unprepared or when you're not expecting it because you don't subconsciously turn that predator mode off and you're just snorkeling and then all of a sudden you know a big white sea bass or something swims up and it's kind of like wait what um that's happened so many times uh and i've unfortunately blown that quite a bit too so (laughs) (laughs) we all i think we all have right for sure so on instagram you're spear with x yes um I don't, I don't know what I'm Peter. I've told you this before and I'm dead serious. It's something about your voice when you're narrating uh, on your videos and you're talking through it. There's just such a genuineness about it where you're like, let me share this with you and not let me share this with you. Look how great I am. Uh, You know what I mean? Let me just, I want to share this with you as if you're teaching a class full of like hungry kindergartners. I don't know what it is, like, (laughs) but I'm just like, Oh, okay. Like I'm pulling out of a chair and I'm just staring and listening to Peter talking to me about how he goes through this dive and what he saw. Um, and I love it, but you just, you've been diving for half a dozen years. You just recently did your first trip to, uh, Bay of LA and Baja, your first trip to Baja in general. What do you think it was? And, and maybe we touched upon it already, but what do you think it was that allowed like, people like, wow, you've never gone to Baja. That's crazy. Um, what was the catalyst for you finally going, I'm going to go, I'm going to pull the trigger and go. I think, well, first off, thank you very much. That's really kind of you to say about the the commentary on my videos. Um, I've gotten people saying that. So I think I also didn't notice a lot of people doing that. So I just want to share how I've been successful. Um, and it's kind of cool, right? Like, Oh, this is what it's just like me telling my kids or any stranger, Hey, this is how I did it. Right. Just like we talk. Um, and then in regards to going to Bola or going to Baja for the first time for spearfishing, it, that goes back to your, um, realization of how people, you know, their, their free time changes in their life cycle. Right. So for many years, you know, I was living, uh, the professional life working for Oakley for, you know, for 25 years and, it wasn't a nine to five job. I did a lot of hours, travel, whatever else. And then raising kids and my, my amazing wife, uh, you know, with her to take a week for myself to spearfish. It was, it was really hard for me to do. Uh, if I had time off, you know, we would do a family thing or we're at a basketball tournament or we're, you know, something else, not, not for Peter, exactly right or if it's for peter it's a day <laughs> so that, that was kind of that's a lot of it so you know i stopped working for oakley in 2018 and i actually stopped working for another company being their design leader uh, a couple years ago also and then now i have my own consultancy so now i have a little bit more free time 
And that in combination with my children being older, more independent, not needing me all the time and finding some friends, good, good buddies to dive with and opportunity. So it's just kind of the moon and stars lined up that made sense to, Hey, let's give it a shot. Let's, let's try, you know, I think we'll be okay at home. You know, I can, I can portion it all out. So I, I felt okay about going and it, it worked out. Yeah. So I don't know who you, uh, when you went down there, uh, what time of year? Tell, tell, tell us about the trip, like walk us through the trip. Sure. Um, so this trip um, was, I believe, last May, roughly May time. So apparently a good time to go. And it was a trip that was already planned with another group of guys. But one of the buddies asked us about it and said, hey, you know, if you guys get enough guys, we can just make it a bigger trip and carpool down there. So that's ultimately what we did. Uh, they already had four guys in their group and me and two other guys got together and it was going to be four, but then that didn't work out. And we decided to just go for it with us three. So there were seven, of us, seven of us total that went down two different vehicles. And that's just kind of how it played out in the, in the Pongas. It was just three of us most of the time in our boat and the four of them and my group, we just wanted to spearfish. The other guys had fishing poles and all that. And so they were doing kind of a mix and me and my buddies, we just dove. And for me, that was awesome. We were down there for, I think five, uh, sorry, maybe six days. So we dove for four days straight and up at, you know, we're up at six or whatever and on the water as the sun comes up and diving, 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 looking for fish the water it was my first time diving there so i wasn't exactly sure what to encounter surprisingly the waters are very similar to our waters here in that it's not that clean you know i was hoping it'd be like you know some of those cool you know tahiti or hawaii where i can see the bottom from 100 feet or whatever but no it was very similar here in terms of our visibility uh it was cold it was i um, guess uh, it was low 60s and uh, I get cold kind of easy. So, you know, that, that part wasn't so fun, but make do. And shot Cabrilla for the first time. Uh, one of my buddies shot his personal best uh, golf grouper, um, different kinds of species. It was fun. And I would say it was a blast diving different waters, uh, experiencing stuff, eating some great food. They cooked some of our fish for us. Um, Diving with my buddies is always good. Also, these are the buddies that um, we all practice Ikejime. So Ikejime, for may maybe many of your, your your listeners know from your podcasts and stuff, is a, is a is Japanese process of managing your fish to, you know, kill, uh, destroy the spinal, uh, the sorry, the nervous system in a fish after it's dead so that you stop... Uh, decomposition and prolong the fish's quality from uh, when it's fresh. So anyway, we all practice this. So we were helping each other do our fish. We were highly productive and I just had a blast. I loved it. And I, I wanted to go back. I made a little video, uh, made two videos, a part one and a part two of some of that uh, on my YouTube channel to share with people my experience of what I encountered. And yeah, I, I couldn't wait to go back. So when you, you and John, um, well, John asked me, you know, I wanted to go with you guys. I said, hell yeah. You know, and 
I've dove with you before and I had a great time and I thought diving with you and John again, but in Baja would just be amazing. And it was, you know, it was just another great adventure. Right. It, and this one, like I said before, was definitely an adventure and it's funny because it really shows you, uh, uh, you know, what makes a great dive trip is just good people. Um, and we had a good time. And just so I think about how productive we could be if we went back and the water is as smooth like it was the last day and all of that. I'm like, we are going to crush it. But <laughs> um, those are those things like John felt that big sonic boom of the goober tail oh. in his chest. And it's like, those are those things that drive you back to just <laughs> all over and over and over again. It drives you in obsession, you know? Um, Absolutely. The fish, the fish, anytime we get fish to me, that's bonus, right? It, it's a good trip. If you got to dive with good, good friends, good buddies, or make good buddies, good friends out of it and come back safe. That's, that's to me success, right? And any fish is just icing. And um, before we went down, I was telling my wife, oh yeah, you know, look at this. I want to try and get this fish. I want to do that. And, you know, my wife, uh, God bless her. She just looked at me kind of patted me on the back and said, honey, you're going for the fun and adventure. Okay. If you get fish, great. And I looked at her and I said, yep, you're right. Cause there's no guarantee of us ever getting fish. Right. It could have been so blown out. We could have done every single thing right. And the fish weren't there, but you know, you can't, we can't just judge our trips based on fish by any means. So to me, like you said, you know, Brett, it was, it was an adventure and that in itself is fun. But then I, I agree with you. The fact that I got to hang out with you and John more, all the talking we did, like, dude, those hours on the road, just, it didn't seem like it took that long to get there or back, to be honest with you. Right. With us just chatting and talking about, you know, everything, both spearfishing related and life related, you know, so. Then there's the big gossip session in the uh, room with the wind was bad and gossiped about everything, and, you know chatty cat <laughs> um just, yeah yeah funny stuff man and uh i think that's what's so unique about living here in, in southern california it, it's like we have i would assume it's probably the same in australia when i was spending a little time there for work um where they have you know west oz they've got that big desert the whole coast and not a huge population it's like that's kind of like our baja for us um, mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe it's it's worth it's a bigger difference because you're talking about Southern California, where it's just this you know big amount of people and industry and everything, and then you cross that border and it's like, hey, once you get through the border town, it's really like the Wild West kind of in a way, um, as far as population and all of that. Um, so, again, what what do you think? What's next for? your what's next for your social media like for your spear with x or your brand or or do you have any things you're working on like you're trying to like uh, design and develop uh you i mean you have your design company now uh, mm -hmm. and i don't know if you want to share what that's called or anything like yeah. that or, no um happy to do so it's 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 pyd and it stands for peter you design and it's a design consultancy. Um, I work with different companies of different sizes to help them with their designs, help them um, improve, have new, next gen, whatever their designs need to be or want to be. Uh, so it's a consulting consultancy that do different things uh, depending on what they need. 
And I have uh, my team consists of different experts and professionals out in the world. So depending on the size of the project would dictate who I get to work on it. Uh, sometimes it's just me. Sometimes it's an engineer. Sometimes it's a developer. Sometimes whatever. So it just depends, uh, which is cool. So again, it goes back to kind of the things I like to do and I like to help people. So I view it that way. So it, it works out pretty good. Um, in terms of my spearfishing endeavors, you know, I, I, I just really, all my videos, both for YouTube uh, and Instagram, are fun for me to just share. I don't really have any big plans to, to grow or anything like that. Um, one reason is that um, it's something I really enjoy. I'm not sure I want to make it a, my work, right? I'm not sure, because then it changes. It becomes something else. So I'm kind of, to be honest, but I'm kind of torn. Like I have a couple of things, like I said, that I've designed for spearfishing that some people have reached out to ask me, but I haven't done a lot to make it a, like a super viable, you know, mass production thing, which I probably will do if some of these things um, resonate, you know, like, like I said, these mirrors that you can wear that make it real handy to see both your GoPro and anything around you that you can't you know, turn your head on. Uh, and they have applications outside of the water too, because people video all kinds of stuff, right? And, or maybe some different camera mounts for guns and stuff. Um, and then in terms of, so maybe, maybe I'll do a little bit more of that, but I don't really show it. I don't make it a big deal. Maybe I will. And then on the videos, I think I just want to keep making better videos, both for myself and for people to enjoy. And, and I do, I'm working on the common a little bit more because I find that people do appreciate what I'm sharing with them. Um, the kind of the how to, or what I'm looking for, what's the mindset when you're diving, you know, whatever depth or what you're looking for or, or whatever. Cause I think that would have been helpful for me as I was starting to learn uh, what to do, you know, in diving. And so I'll probably continue to make content, but to be honest too, I'm not, I'm not making as much content probably as many people should, that do this are making because I am trying to do the consultancy stuff that takes time <laughs> to do designing actual products for other people. Uh, also design some things for myself, my own uh, interests. And also I think when I do my own videos, I'm not super fast. I, I really craft my videos. I look at the timing and the music and what did I just say? Did that make sense? Oh, that could have been better. So it takes me a while to make my own videos too. So it's a hobby that I'm just sharing right now. And, um, and, but the response has been good. So it, 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 I get stoked, you know, that people seem to be enjoying it. Yeah. It's uh, I can really understand that, that the duality of it all where it's like, here you are. When did you say you want to start trying to make this an actual like business? I find that, and this is what I've struggled with too, is that all of a sudden you become surface and then less, and you're looking more business and, and you're missing out on opportunities to go do the things you love to do. And, um, you know, one of the nice things about like you, like your situation too, is having a, a real job that pays the bills is that it's always a good reminder of like, Whoa, hold on. I haven't spearfished much. Like I don't need this to make money. I'm not doing it for that. You just throttle it back and go remember why you do what you do and why you're actually, that actually helps. I feel like, with the spearfishing products and the spearfishing business side of this, for me, the spear factor stuff is that if I like just give myself a break and fall back in love with spearfishing, then it motivates the other stuff. And uh, otherwise, 
really to try to uh, make a business, uh, I guess, by definition, a failing business, uh, an unproductive business, <laughs> <laughs> right? Where it's like, it's more time and you're probably making 20 bucks a month. I like it, it, to do something like that and, and to really like, oh, I'm going to really try to make a business out of it. You're going to burn out. Like, yeah. and, and that's why I honestly respect um, Shrek from New Spiro so much is that he's been doing it so long. He's managed to like really learn to enjoy it as much as he truly enjoys it and be as efficient and as productive as he can be while still having fun diving. And uh, mm -hmm. it's a balance. And I think other people have lost that and burned themselves out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is a great thing that you're doing for people. Don't lose sight that if you don't take care of yourself first, the product you're, you're going to provide people is not going to be as good. You know, sure. rushing in for me, it's like rushing into a podcast. It's like just to put up another podcast. Isn't going to be as entertaining as if I like genuinely like, hey, did research or whatever it was and chatted with the room. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I've found on the product side of things. You just get a much better product. Just like I think in your own personal lives with your wife, um, you know, there's some part where it's like, hey, you need to go back. Or you need to get certain because you can just be a better person in a lot of ways, you know, yep. and not be selfish about it. So there's that balance. You're always, it's funny because it doesn't matter if it's business or not. There's always this balance going on. It's balancing that going on between husband, uh, husband, dad, diver, surfer, whatever, what, whatever it is this week. Right. Cause we're both very similar. It's like, Ooh, shiny. I'm going to go do that. Like, whatever <laughs> I'm going to do. It's like, you know, Oh, you're been gone for six months and then you're going to come home. I'm going to go to Baja. No, you're not. You know, like that's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is yeah. where, yeah. So um, I definitely can respect that position where you're in. And um, uh, along those lines, I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know <laughs> you and I are probably going to get out there and then go to dinner. Um, uh, so, anyways, Peter, um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to check out more of your stuff? Yeah, you guys can find me on Instagram. It's Spear with X, and no no dashes or dots or anything. Just one one word. And on YouTube, it's the same. It's Spear with X. So um, I'm probably a little infrequent lately, but there's some there's still some pretty cool videos on both YouTube and Instagram. And that's where you'll find me most of the time, I think. Yeah. Okay. I guess before we go, Spear with X, how did you come up? Let the people know how you came up with the X <laughs> Sure. Um, well, number one, I realized a while ago that on my regular Instagram, uh, not all of our friends want to see fish shot in the face. I'm not sure why, but that's just a reality, I guess, you know. So then I thought probably just put all my spearfishing stuff on a dedicated channel. So I decided to do that. And then having a conversation with my son about what we should call it, I kind of wanted to keep it separate from me. I wasn't sure I wanted everyone to know who I was and all that kind of stuff, you know, um, probably just paranoia. And this, the X part comes from my gamer tag when I used to play video games and some of my other uh, personal things, but the letter X tended to come up with different projects work projects I worked on, uh, personal things, Xbox 360. And so my gamer tag used to be X-Toy. That's also the little brand I made up for those mirrors and camera mounts and stuff like that. So X-Toy, 
is where that came from. And my son thought, well, why don't you make a spear with X? Because he had a, a photographer friend with kind of a, you know, shoot with so-and-so or whatever. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Spear with X. I also like the idea that the concept is that, you know, anybody can be X, right? Put your, you know, like, you know, how you sign on the X. So it just means, look, you can follow this channel. You'll see, you know, shooting fish, some tips and tricks. And this could be you. All you got to do is get out there and do it. You know, get out there and get involved, learn, get certified, be safe, find some good friends. And let me share with you what I got. And maybe you can do the same. So I kind of like the whole connotation of Spear with X. It's a little bit anonymous. And, um, but kind of people, people know now who, who it is, many people just from friends out there. But yeah, that's where it came from. Well, Peter, that's awesome. And again, you can tell your genuineness just in the whole the whole start of everything was about helping others and not being uh, exclusionary, all inclusionary, um, inclusive. Excuse me. Um, so, I again, thank you for your time and uh, had a pleasure with you again chatting with you and had a pleasure with you in Baja. And let's do it again soon. Um, Spear with X, Peter, you, everybody. Thanks, Fred. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you, brother. All right, that concludes the show for today. Thank you guys for listening. You can find more about Peter at Peter Yee Designs on Instagram and also at Spear with X, his spear fishing uh, Instagram page. And if you guys want to further your knowledge in spear fishing or you have questions, sure, be sure to check out. Uh, spearfishingmentor.com again um, and also as always uh, spearfactor.com for all the latest podcasts and blog stuff Uh, appreciate you guys listening and take care spend your Saturdays with life on the water join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel and so much more you want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest oh look at that thing dude Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.